friends, this is Joanna Brooks, fellow traveler in Mormon feminism and author of the Book of Mormon Girl, with a special request for you. You know, since the beginning of the Mormon feminist movement, we have published our own books, we have supported our own art projects, our own intellectuals, and I'm asking you one more time to pony up in support of one of our Mormon feminist sisters who I think is the most exciting and soon to be most accomplished public historian in Mormonism today. That's our girl, Lindsay Hanson Park, who tears it up on this podcast each week, bringing us incredible insights about the Mormon past, including polygamy and its persistent influence on the way we live our lives today. Lindsay does her thing, bringing us brilliance for pennies. What does she make? Cents on the dollar that every real Mormon podcaster makes, if that. It's up to us. It's up to us. If Mormon feminist history matters to you. If having incisive, intelligent critique of racial inequality, gender inequality in the Mormon church matters to you, will you support this podcast? As Mormon feminists have always done for each other, we've always published our own books. We've always supported our own arts. Let's pitch in to support one of our own, doing crucial intellectual work that's going to stand the test of time. That's right. Go to Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast.org look for the donate button and use PayPal or whatever other means are at your disposal to become a monthly subscriber join me in becoming a subscriber to this podcast just $10 a month, $20 a month and you can hold your head high and know that you're contributing to a long history of Mormon sisters doing it for themselves thank you another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, bringing you another episode in the Year of Polygamy series where we try to understand the practice of Mormon plural marriage. And if you've been following the series, you'll know that we're in the fundamentalist period right now. We're studying contemporary Mormon fundamentalism. This is just a reminder that if you're just tuning in, it is really best to start back all the way at episode one and work your way through The series is meant to go in order, and I don't want to be preachy about this, but that was really the purpose of this project, because it's really important for me and for you to know that context matters when we're talking about these things, that that you need the history to understand what's going on today. So if this is your first time tuning in, stop it and go back to episode one. And also, thank you for those who have become subscribers. I would ask everyone to become a monthly subscriber and help uh, support this podcast. You can do that on yearofpolygamy.com. And go ahead and like the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast Facebook page. Now, with that out of the way, I want to introduce a guest that I think is incredible and has an incredible story, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. We've been talking about the history of the FLDS and... uh, Those are the few episodes before this one. And now I'm going to talk to someone who has actually lived that history, who's been involved and affected by that history. We're going to be talking to the nephew of Warren Jeffs himself. Trevor Jeffs left the FLDS only eight months ago and has agreed to come on and share his story. Can you say hello, Trevor? Hi, Lindsay. It's good to be here. So, Trevor, I want the listeners to understand your story 
Now, I was nervous at first about bringing you on because this is such a new experience to you, and I think that there's a lot you're still processing. So I want to be sensitive to your experience and make sure that we don't talk about anything that is triggering or too uncomfortable. But I do want you to tell us about who you are and and your background and why you're on the podcast tonight. Okay. Um, I guess... I am Warren Jeff's nephew. Uh, my father is his half brother. So, same, he's from the same father, different mothers. <laughs> my grandfather had several wives, quite a few actually. I was born in Sandy, Utah, actually. Uh, we were from Salt Lake. So, uh, I was pretty much the last of our family to have been born in a hospital. Everyone else was born in just like the community clinics. So that was a interesting experience. Um, I grew up net right uh, next to the Alta Academy there in Sandy, uh, the mouth of Little Conwood Canyon. Uh, I started first grade when I was six, and my father's second wife uh, got married just before I started going to school, and she was our teacher uh, f- for the first several years. Me and two of my cousins were just getting taught homeschool. I don't really remember a whole lot of how that came around. I was only six when she got married to my father, but I do remember going to their house, the my second mother's father's house, and meeting the family before they got married, and it was kind of strange thinking that we would get a new part of our family from some family we didn't even know. <laughs> and so we didn't know the family at the time. Your your mother sister wife would also be your teacher, right? So yes. And and this was at yeah. the Alta Academy. No, actually, Alta Academy closed down in '98, and so this was just a homeschool. We were just doing it in our house. Okay. So tell tell us more about that. What how many how many wives did your father have? Right now or at that time? Right now how many does he have? Uh four. Um and where does your mom fall in that? She was the first. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, and I understand asking that that's like the wrong question. You're not supposed to ask that to to people, but I do think it helps us understand some context. So she was the first and about this yeah. time uh what wife is what number is this woman? The second, and she was, yeah, she was our teacher, and she was the second wife. Uh, right after she got married, then my mother had her, let's see, my younger brother, I think the fifth son, but he kind of got adopted by her <laughs> a little bit, and she kind of helped raise him. But anyway, we were doing school, and she pretty much taught me and two of my cousins up through fourth grade, just at home, home school when we lived in Sandy. We moved to, after uh, my grandfather, Rulin, left Salt Lake in 1998 or 1999, he moved down to Colorado City. Then we started uh, changing. I mean, it started changing a little bit. We kind of knew that we were going to all move down to Colorado City because... uh Salt Lake was, we had a prophecy that Salt Lake City was going to be one of the cities destroyed in the in the Great Destructions in the year 2000. 
and the whole city or the whole valley would be flooded up to the top of the temple is what the prophecy said. Oh, wow. Anyway. That's a lot of water. (laughs) Yeah. So. Well, I have a question really quick about that. So as a six-year-old, you know, you know, Mm. your family dynamics change. And I'm just, I've always been curious about how children perceive this. So were you excited? Were you confused? How did you feel? And how did this change your, your family dynamic? Um, I don't know. I mean, it was kind of expected because that's kind of, you know, how, how everyone or a lot of people lived. So it wasn't too confusing, but it was, I mean, you know, it was new. Um, I think my mother, she didn't do very well with it, especially at first. I mean, I remember, I remember her crying a lot and, uh, she was, yeah, she didn't do very good with it. But as far as we did, as far as the children, I mean, it was kind of like having, almost like having a big sister <laughs> in terms, I mean, she would, you know, play with us outside and, you know, teaching us school and all that stuff. So it was almost like having a big sister for us. Okay. So she was younger, obviously, and... Yeah. Uh, but mostly happy, happy memories? Yeah. From that time, it was mostly, I mean... I, my childhood wasn't, I mean, it was pretty happy. I mean, we didn't, I never had any kind of abuse or anything. I can't say that for, you know, other families, but I know that, I mean, I never had any, I don't think there was any in our family. Tell us about the move to Colorado City. What the, what was that like after living in Sandy, Utah, going down to Colorado City? Yeah, it was a pretty big move. We, I remember just before the year 2000, then we, you know, the end of the world was supposed to happen and we were supposed to prepare and we had to, uh, all the families had to get like three months of provisions and food and have it in our house. And that was, I remember that was a bit scary and worrisome to us. <laughs> we had to have a lot of dried and canned food and a big, huge tank of water in our basement, but nothing happened. Anyway, so... Pretty much in the fall and winter of 2001, then everyone started moving from Sandy or Salt Lake area, the Salt Lake Valley, down to Colorado City. One of the reasons I remember being told was because of the Salt Lake Olympics were of the devil and we had to get out of the valley because the Salt Lake Olympics. <laughs> so that was, that was something strange. It was a pretty big move. I mean, there were, you know, probably hundreds of families that moved down to Colorado City and there were not nearly enough houses. So we, I mean, we moved into uh, another family's basement. So there were actually two or three other families living in the top of the house and we were in the basement. Um, we lived there for, in that house for probably a year or so. Something that was kind of fun is it was kind of crowded, so we had really tall ceilings. So uh, me and two of my brothers had a three-story bunk bed. <laughs> that was kind of fun. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, after we lived there, then we moved uh, into another family's basement, but it was a real cricker family because the families we lived with were actually other families that moved from Salt Lake, so they were kind of similar to us in terms of how we'd lived, but... Now, was there a difference, uh, a noticeable difference between 
the culture? I mean, were you at this point dressing under, I mean, of course, Warren hadn't made his really strict edicts at this point, but what were mm. the differences between you and the Cricker families? Um, I don't know. We always, I mean, we kind of always thought of ourselves as the Salt Lakers and we didn't, I mean, I don't know, I guess kind of a small town mentality, you know, just, uh, I don't know, small town, I guess, <laughs> but we, I don't know, it was, they were def- was definitely different than how we lived in Salt Lake, but yeah, I mean, we all still pretty much dressed the same as the Crickers, but. Uh, Did you miss Salt Lake? Yeah. Did you miss anything about it? Um, I don't know. I mean, I was, let's see, I was only eight when we moved, so it's not like, you know, I mean, I missed the snow in the mountains. We used to go sledding up at Snowbird, and uh, we had a kind of a sledding hill in our backyard at our house. So I kind of missed the snow, um, but we didn't, like, go out and do a whole lot of stuff, so... It wasn't that much to miss. Now, when you guys are eight, do you get baptized like we do in the LDS church? Yes. So I got baptized actually before we moved to Colorado City. I got baptized and the baptismal font was actually in our garage. <laughs> Tell me about that. What does an FLDS baptism look like? Um. Well, uh, that was a long time ago. Um, yeah, I barely I remember, remember my baptism either. <laughs> <laughs> I remember... We uh, moved from a really small house we lived in right by the Alta Academy and Ruins House, uh, right in the mouth of Cottonwood Canyon. I, it kind of got torn down just a little while ago, I guess. But um, then we moved to one of my uncle's houses. He had moved down to Colorado City, so we kind of bought it from him. And uh, so we were one of the few Jeffs left up there, so my father kind of was... I guess not really in a power position, but he was, I guess, one of the Jeff's brothers up there. So we had like our, we had the baptismal font there and he was like kind of the principal of the school effort up there. So we had, uh, yeah, the baptismal font. And I remember whenever someone would come there to get baptized and father would take us all and we would go out to dinner. But. Uh, yeah, when I got baptized, then, yeah, I was just going out into the garage, and there was just a big still, like a pool, pool almost, out in the garage. And we just got all in, dressed in white clothes, and, uh, yeah, just got baptized. I mean, I don't remember a whole lot about it. <laughs> okay, so tell us about what happens. Do you go to school in Colorado City at this point? Yeah, so when we moved to Colorado City, then... They have kind of a more of a community school, I guess almost like a private community school where they have, you know, real classrooms and teachers, at least more real than just homeschool. So it was like in the middle of my fourth grade year. So I started going to what what we call the Jeff's Academy because it was uh, Warren was the principal of that one. And we all the Jeff's kids went to it, but so did quite a few other of the children in the group. And so, yeah, it was in the middle of fourth grade when we moved there. Now, do you guys do a thing with bloodlines? Do you, I mean, so you're a Jeff's, did that, did that affect your status in the community at all? Um, 
Uh, somewhat. I mean, there was kind of a mixture because my mother, my first mother, my mother was uh, a tailor, which is uh, she was a, her father was a convert, so that was kind of a, a lower class, lower family, I guess you could say, because you know they just barely come in and they weren't really prominent in the church, so New we were kind of like mixed between between you know the prophet's family and then just some new you know new converts so i mean yeah i think there was some i mean we did go to like the jeff's academy with all the other you know i remember i was in the same grade as some of warren's children and that and one of i mean the teachers a lot of the teachers were uh the teachers were my grandfather uncle ruin's wife's so my fourth grade teacher was one of my grandmothers. <laughs> so tell us about your relationship with Warren, your family relationship and that dynamic. Um, we didn't really have a lot to do with him. I mean, we had devotionals every morning at school and he would usually conduct it. But as far as personal, we didn't really have much to do with them. I mean, it's not like we, you know, we didn't ever go over to their house and have dinner, you know, or any of that kind of stuff. Um, my father was kind of more of a, he knows business. I mean, he has a business and started a company and was kind of more bringing in money for the church than managing and, you know, all the church politics and that kind of stuff. So we didn't have a lot to do with their family. Tell us about your experience with him in the school. So he was your principal. Yeah. Um, he was a principal for, I think, pretty much just the rest of my fourth grade year. Um, I don't remember a whole lot. I I mean, I don't think we, I mean, I never like got sent to the principal. I wasn't that naughty of a young boy, so I never got sent to the principal. But, um, I mean, he would do the morning devotional, you know, just read the scriptures and read the Book of Mormon and that stuff. But uh, that was before Rulin had died, so he wasn't really uh, in control quite yet. So there wasn't too many changes from before. So tell me what a fourth grade boy's life is like. I have a fourth grader, and I'm just curious... Um, I know that Warren started to really ramp up the rhetoric of boys and girls playing together. But what did you do? What yeah. did you do for fun? What was your day like? Um, well, we, we did have, uh, we were in kind of a schoolhouse. It was actually part of a manufacturing facility, but we were kind of just in like offices. I mean, it used to be a manufacturing facility and we were in some of the offices <laughs> as the classrooms, but, um, for fun, I mean, we, you know, we would just go outside and run around and play basketball and that kind of stuff. That was before most of the sports and that kind of stuff got, uh, discouraged. Um, we would have like park days where the whole school would go to some of the big parks there and play, you know, games on all the big grass fields and that kind of stuff. Um, as far as the, the day to day, stuff. I mean, the school, I mean, I always enjoyed school, so that was pretty fun for me. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, there's not too much interesting stuff that we did. What kind of things were you learning in school? Um, a lot of priesthood history and um, that kind of stuff. We, I remember, I mean, you know, we did basic spelling, English, math, um, that kind of stuff. We didn't really learn hardly any science. Um, I think, yeah, phonics, you know, just some of the basic stuff like that. You're in school. Your father has a second wife. Tell us about how you start growing your family. Okay, well, when we moved into the second basement in Colorado City, then there was that was more of the cricker, and they had cows and chickens and that kind of stuff, so that was interesting. But when we were living there, then um, that was when we were living in that house when my grandfather died and Warren started taking over, and that was when a lot of the men started getting sent away, and... Uh, that was actually what my third mother was, uh, one of the men who's got sent away's wives. So that was a pretty big, uh, addition to our family. She already had three children with him. So when she got married to my father, then that was like four more people in our family. From your perspective, how your mom handled this? Not very good. I remember, I mean, I think she kind of got to where, you know, they got along a little bit with the second wife, but when the when our the third wife got married, then I remember I mean she would she would cry a lot and I remember she had quite a bit of yeah, jealousy and that kind of stuff. And another thing to complicate it even further was the third wife was the second wife's sister, so that made it complicated, too. So they teamed <laughs> up and had two against one sometimes? Not really. Um, I think that they had as much issues as, I mean, the sisters had as much, you know, competition or whatever you want to call it, jealousies, as the, any of the other ones. So it wasn't like they were ganging up. <laughs> So what did you but, think about it? What did, how did you internalize this as a child? Um, well, one thing that was kind of strange is the man that my, that his, that the third wife was married to had several other wives and kind of how it uh, got started or not started, but my father was one of his sisters was married to this man. So he was supposed to just take care of her. You know, she was going to just come and kind of be part of the family and we would, you know, support them and stuff. But then it kind of just got switched over and he married one of the other wives and his sister married some other man. So we were, you know, we were going to just all of a sudden move within with where one of our aunts were going to move in with all of her children. And then it kind of switched over and then we got a new mother. So that was strange. Um, but yeah, it was different. She had, uh, three girls and we only had, all of our girls were very were really young. My mother's uh, oldest girl was after five boys, so she was only like two years old. But uh, this my 
father's third wife had three girls and they were already, they were a little bit older, maybe five or so. So that was kind of different getting some other girls in the house. Um, but when we lived in the basement of the house, it was really crowded. We only had maybe four, four, maybe five bedrooms. So we were really crowded, but we eventually moved out into a bigger house, uh, so we could have more space. I want to understand your faith. What was your testimony like? What was your faith like? Um, it was, it was always pretty strong, um, pretty much up until only a few years ago. I mean, I, you know, I was pretty, I had pretty strong faith. Uh, did you have a testimony and like a witness of the truthfulness of Warren Jeffs as a prophet? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to know right now. I mean, you know, kind of looking back to know if it was really, but I mean, I, I probably did, you know, I did think I did have a, you know, a strong testimony that he was a prophet and, but also, you know, I was, you know, pretty young and just, that's what we were all told. How but, are you told to um, know you have, have a testimony? Well, I'm saying that we were told that he was a prophet. No, no, no. I mean, but, but like, you know, like in the LDS church, we're told, like we get a burning in our bosom and we know oh, that that's, yeah. so how are you told yeah. that your like feelings are correct? Yeah, that was pretty much the same. If we, you know, you pray and if you get a burning in your bosom, then that's, you know, confirmation. Okay. So that's the same. I mean, and I, I think I, I remember feeling that I had, you know, had some confirmation after and I, you know, had a testimony when I was probably 10 or 11. I guess what would probably be next is when we about, we moved to a bigger house and then about two years later then my father got, uh, told by the priesthood to move the, his company to Las Vegas or Henderson, which is just a suburb of Las Vegas. So we moved the company down there and we got a couple houses for pretty much all the men to live at the houses in Las Vegas and work there. And most of the families just stayed in Colorado City and we would just kind of commute on weekends. Um, but I, I lived there in Henderson mostly and would kind of help around the shop. How we old had were a, you at my this father point? had a machine shop. How old were um, you? 12, 12 or 13. Uh, that was actually, I was the, we actually moved down or the company moved to Henderson when I was in the middle of eighth grade. And that's pretty much where I stopped going to school because I moved down there and started helping at the shop. So that was pretty much as much education, I guess, formal education anyway. After we did that, we lived in, or yeah, lived in Henderson, Las Vegas for about a year. And then we got told to move to Colorado. And so we picked up everything in Las Vegas, all the, the machines, I mean, all the, the machine shop and everything. And then we had to get all of our families because the, all the families moved up to Colorado around uh, Penrose, which is uh, like 30 minutes south of Colorado Springs. And we moved there and set up shop again and everyone had to find houses. And it was, I, I actually liked living in Colorado because we were, we were kind of out of the, I mean, you know, the main church 
in terms of we, you know, we didn't go to church every weekend. We didn't really have any of that kind of stuff. So we just kind of did our own thing, but we still had all, of, you know, all the restrictions. We couldn't listen to any, you know, Gentile music or watch movies or any of that kind of stuff, but it wasn't so constraining, I guess. We lived there, uh, for, I think, three or four years. We lived in Colorado. Um, that's when I really started working. I started working, uh, doing low voltage electric work at a, a DMV there right by where we were working with a, just a FLDS company. And then I started going and working with them all over the Western United States and it was kind of hard. I mean, we, I worked and only came home, you know, every month or two. What about uh, socializing? Did you have any interest in anyone? There wasn't really anyone. Pretty much the only people that were, that moved up to Colorado with us were, were all our relatives. So that kind of put a kink in anything like that. <laughs> all my cousins pretty much. So, but yeah, I mean, we didn't really have any, uh, socializing. I mean, pretty much all we did was hang out with my, my other, uh, uh, male cousins. We didn't, yeah, we, didn't really have anything to do with the girls, so what about that was gay forbid. kids and FLDS? Were there any stories of them? Any rumors of them? Are they like the um, unicorn that I, exists? Yeah, I I haven't. I mean, I don't know of any personally, but I'm pretty sure that they would just say that it's you know it's just the uh, sin and you just get over it pretty much. I mean, you know, they would. Uh, I haven't heard of it personally heard of a of a person but i know that they definitely are not they don't approve of of gay people so i mean they they're yeah quite uh racist too you know they obviously think black people or can't hold the priesthood and you know like you were talking about in your previous podcasts but yeah i don't know i mean i guess if someone said that they were gay and they weren't going to repent, then they would just get sent away. <laughs> okay, so you're working, and then what happens? Um, after I worked for that company doing low voltage, then I actually went and started doing concrete for a year, and then I kind of got tired of that and went back and started working for my dad at the machine shop. And that's kind of when... Uh, Started stuff started to change uh, around the end of 2009. Then we started getting more involved with all the church. We had to go down to Colorado City like every other week from Colorado to go to priesthood meeting. And then after that, uh, in early 2010, then we all moved back to Colorado City. And that's when uh, all the stuff started to get uh, really change uh one other thing was uh we were actually living in las vegas when warren got arrested there so that was a a pretty big shock to us <laughs> but anyway so tell, tell me what we, was happening like when he was getting arrested what what were people saying i remember uh we kind of saw it on the news or i think uh one of the one of the guys that was working at the shop 
was looking at the news on the internet and saw it on the news and so everyone was kind of like wondering if it was you know if it was real or and then my father got a call from the bishop or something i'm not sure some someone and told him that yeah that he had gotten arrested and it was i remember it was a pretty big shock and uh yeah everyone was really surprised were they sad yeah i think so i mean was it like our prophet is being taken away sort of recreating the joseph smith narrative yeah quite a bit like that for sure <laughs> yeah they compare compare him being in jail to joseph smith quite a lot after we moved down back to colorado city then we started kind of everything was starting to go to where they were trying to uh, initiate the united order and pretty much they decided or i don't know where it came from probably warren got some revelation that everyone in the church needed to get rebaptized to wash away their sins to get ready to uh start the United Order. So that was a pretty big thing. Everyone, pretty much everyone in the church went and got rebaptized and all of the, to get ready for, to get into the United Order. And that was quite a big deal. And then, uh, in the summer of 2011 is when they were really starting to do the, interviews for the United Order because they have to interview you to make sure that you're clean and pure. You can't have watched, you know, watched any movie mo or have watched movies or listened to music or had any impure thoughts or any association with girls, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So uh, my first interview to get into the order was in the summer of 2011. And this is where the cracks kind of started in my faith because I was I was watching movies and listening to music but I didn't tell him and I figured well you know if he was inspired by God to know if I'm worthy for the order then well they would know that I wasn't and they accepted me right in and accepted me into the order so I was kind of like okay well that's uh strange if they're inspired by God you know why wouldn't they know that I'm not worthy? Um, that's kind of where the, my, you know, the crack started in my faith. And I remember right after that, or actually just before I got interviewed, then the internet was banned. Um, and so we got all of our smartphones. We had to get restrictions on it so we couldn't use the internet. And that was another big thing. If you had used the internet, you couldn't be into the United Order. So, I had been using the internet, so I still wasn't worthy. Um, but that was, uh, actually why I got kind of kicked out of the order was because I, they put a restriction on my phone and like within two hours and I had just removed it. So that didn't do very good, do very much good. But, uh, now I heard that they like, they, they control technology. They can tell who's on it and things like that. Is that true? Um, yeah, they are really restrictive of it. I mean, they said no one, I mean, they kind of go in stages. At first they said, uh, like, 
no one under 18 can have a computer, and then they changed that to no one who's not married can have a computer, and they changed it to no one who's under 18 can have a, a phone, and then they changed it to no one under 18 can have a smartphone or any kind of, uh, like, pretty much any kind of device that could connect to the Internet. So, like, no iPads or no computers or no, pretty much nothing that could connect to the Internet. Um that was pretty much what got me kicked out of the United Order was I had, I was using the internet on my phone and they could track it or they, we were on a, you know, a family plan and they saw that I was using data. So they said, okay, well, you can't be in the United Order. So I got, uh, put into the restoral group, I guess you could call it. I heard it also uh, called the where, repentance group. Is that? Yeah. Repentance group. Yeah, the restoral group, the non-member group, that's what they called it. So it's um, not like getting excommunicated, but it's like getting demoted. No, yeah, pretty much like getting demoted, and that's that's one of the things that makes it so, I think, psychologically damaging is because if you're not in this group, then, you know, you just always are feeling bad about yourself, and, you know, like you're not good enough, and when you're in the group then you're always feeling like you know if you take one wrong step then you'll get you know kicked out and so it's 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 pretty hard are you treated Um, differently by others yeah i mean pretty much if you are a non-member then you can't really associate with members and they're not supposed to associate with you you can't associate with them and that's when at the end of uh 2000 11, the start of 2012, then they got a revelation that the non-members and the members could not live together. So they started splitting the families up into different houses. So me and three of my brothers who were not members had to move out of the house. And we moved into an upstairs office in my dad's machine shop. So we what was that like for you? lived there and worked there. So it was really hard because, uh, I wasn't, I mean, I guess I was already kind of, I wasn't too uh, worried about getting back into the order. I was already kind of not too worried about it. I mean, I didn't really want to very bad. I was already had cracks in my faith. But living there, you know, always, you know, everyone's always saying, yeah, you need to, you know, become worthy to become into the order and move back in with the family and, it was it was pretty hard and we you know we lived there we worked there it was i mean i remember you know feeling like it was just a prison almost you know we couldn't really do much i mean i could you know i just i just look out the window and you know wonder what's out there but um yeah it was we had i mean we had a shower there at the shop but we didn't have much in terms of a kitchen and they would just bring our laundry home and do our laundry for us and bring it back. But so we, I mean, we didn't have anything to do with the the rest of the family except for the other ones that were working. So my dad and my mother worked at the, with us at the machine shop. So we got to see them, but it was also kind of, a lot of, you know, pressure. They're always there making sure that we're trying to, you know, prepare and become 
worthy of the order again. So that was. So you a lot had a chance to be back in the the order. Yeah. Um, after we we lived there for a couple months, I think we moved out of the house in early 2012, and then in May we got interviewed again and. We all just kind of went back to the house and Lyle was there and he was interviewing us and, <laughs> um, tell us about Lyle. Um, I don't know. He's, uh, he was always, I mean, I, I never really had a lot to do with him, but my, my father, I mean, they grew up together. They're, they're fairly close in age, but he was, Lyle was always, uh, I mean, he was always a joker. He was always, uh, you know, he was like to have fun and that kind of stuff. And he always had a kind of a vulgar sense of humor. So that's what a lot of people who knew him, you know, when he started going up in the church and becoming this bishop, then a lot of people were kind of wondering, you know, why is this guy getting up so high? But I mean, I didn't really have a lot to do with him. I mean, he was always, he always was fervent, I guess you could say, you know, always trying to make everyone or, you know, always bearing his testimony and all that kind of stuff after he became the bishop. But he was, yeah, he was the one who did all the interviews and his, his counselors, the bishop and his counselors, all the interviews to, for the United Order. So you were, I cut you off. You were saying that you remember something from your interview. Um, I was a member and then I got kicked out for the internet and then we got interviewed again and, uh, he pretty much, I was, uh, it was kind of a surprise, but we were, I had movies and stuff on my hard drive again and I pretty much, you have to kind of fill out like a, like a form saying that you accept all this uh, stuff. It was kind of a interesting form. Like you have to say that you have no evil thoughts. You have to say that you have no uh, connection with apostates. You know, you just have to kind of fill out this form saying that you're all this good stuff. And you know, I just filled it out how I figured that they would want to see anyway. But so after they interviewed me, then you know, I just kind of told them what they wanted to hear. And then one of my younger brothers went in and told him that he had uh, got some movies off my hard drive. So they pulled me back in and says, hey, we uh, heard something about you. And so they wouldn't let me in. Anyway, so that kind of kept me out of the order again. After that, I was pretty, I don't know, I guess kind of discouraged and didn't really, I mean, I was kind of tired of all the, you know, all the pressure and all the, heartache and stuff. So I actually almost, or I, yeah, I was pretty much ready to leave for, uh, like a couple times, uh, after I had gotten kicked out of the order, but I just didn't really have anywhere to go. And so I kind of just stuck it out. But, um, and then after that, then after the interview, then I decided to try and start doing better and stuff. And so I got rid of all my movies and music and all that stuff. But that's where, uh, I started, I got, uh, I remember 
I got a catalog for a website or a company that does a lot of uh, like college and high school level video courses. So I started uh, watching and doing that kind of uh, doing those instead of my movies and stuff. And that's kind of where I started learning about science and math and that kind of stuff. And that kind of started cracking my faith even more. Yeah. Why? What was it about science that did that? Um, mostly realizing that a lot of what we had been taught was not really true. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, the geology, the history of the earth, uh, the history of the solar system and that kind of stuff. Um, We were taught kind of some strange things. I mean, like, we were told that dinosaurs were, uh, remnants from, we were pretty much taught that the Earth was kind of pieced together from other planets. And that dinosaurs were remnants from, uh, science experiments on other planets before this planet was made. You know, before Michael came, before he, I was built actually this planet, taught that you know, too. Before that. I was taught oh, really? that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was more yeah, speculation, so, like it wasn't official canon or anything, but it, yeah, that's what I was taught. Yeah, that was supposed to be a revelation from one of the prophets, that's what we were taught. Anyway, but yeah, so I kind of started, uh, you know, learning a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and then, uh, I started reading, uh, about evolution and, um, and also the um the book of mormon how the lack of evidence for the book of mormon and that really kind of broke it all wide open did you um, feel guilty while you're doing any of this not really because uh on i mean i really just wanted to know the truth i mean that's pretty much all i was really wanting to know so you know i figured well if you know, if there's all the evidence and I, you know, I can't really deny it, then, you know, that's what, you know, that's what's real. And I'm not going to feel guilty for, you know, learning. <laughs> so I didn't really feel too, too guilty about it. But I do remember, you know, I uh, wrote some letters to my parents about, you know, when I was you know, the questions I had and all that stuff. And they were just, yeah, they were pretty uh, kind of horrified about what I was, you know, talking about. <laughs> but anyway, so they, yeah, they just kind of said that I needed to, you know, pray more, be more fervent. Um, but was there sort so, of an expectation, like, of course, we knew this because you are in the lower group. You can't make it back into the United group. I mean, not knowing that this is in your nature always. Like like you said, you were in the United group, and you knew that you weren't, you know, fulfilling whatever arbitrary standards that they had. But, you know, mm. your parents didn't know this. So is did they think you were more susceptible and open to Satan? They may have. I remember them thinking that we were going to be stronger because of it. You know, we were going through a hard, you know, our faith would be stronger because we went through the hard trial of, you know, overcoming all of our sins and getting into the order. So, I mean, that's what they told us is, Oh, you're going to be stronger once you get into the order. But, um, 
I don't know if they, you know, if they thought that maybe we just didn't have any, <laughs> any luck. But yeah, they just, yeah, they told us that we were just going to be stronger for it. So tell us how you end up leaving. Okay. Um, pretty much I, me and actually one of my cousins, uh, were, we were kind of coming up with a scheme to leave together. Um, he was pretty much ready to leave too, but, uh, we were going to leave on and go and do some kind of a job that I, it was kind of like a freelance type thing doing satellite dish installation. And I didn't really, I mean, it just didn't seem like I would, it would work. And it was kind of like you go to some city and, start doing that and I so I didn't end up going with him but he actually left and went and did that and it didn't really turn out very good for him but uh so I actually had told my parents that I was ready to leave and they you know I gave them a letter and they kind of you know talked to me you know are you really sure you want to do this you know you'll be down forever you know you don't want to do this anyway they actually brought me to Lyle and had him talk to me and he kind of just said, well, you know, if you do this, you know, you're just going to be lost forever, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it didn't really scare me. So after that, then I kind of was just biding my time, waiting for something to come up. And that's when uh, my other cousin who had worked with us at the machine shop, I had worked with him for, you know, seven or eight years, he had gotten kicked out because... uh he is, his father supposedly had had some kind of abuse for, or molested one of his daughters or something. I don't know how true it is, but anyway, so pretty much his whole family got sent away. And anyway, so he got kicked out and he moved away and started a company. And then I was kind of ready to move or leave and he, uh, I actually posted a uh, on Facebook saying that he needed some help. If anyone wanted to come and help him, he started a machine shop. And so I got a hold of him and he said that he would, that I could come and work with him and live with him for a little while until I could get on my feet. So that's pretty much uh, how I left. I just kind of wrote a letter telling my parents that I was, yeah, I couldn't really live there anymore and i mean i couldn't live in the all the pressure and all that and they pretty much said well if you you know if you don't want to live by the rules and that kind of stuff then you can't stay here so i kind of started packing up my stuff and i helped training some new people doing what i was working on doing the kind of uh, work i was doing with the company and then i just packed up all my stuff in a U-Haul trailer and I just left in the morning, one morning, <laughs> well, before everyone got to work because we were still living in the shop. So, yeah, I just packed up everything I had in a U-Haul trailer and in my car and, yeah, just drove down to uh, the Phoenix area. That's was that I hard? Now. I mean, were you feeling heartbroken? Was your family hostile about it or were they accepting or sad? How How did that go? Um, I think they were, 
I mean, they were sad and heartbroken. I don't, I mean, they weren't really hostile, but they, I mean, obviously, I, I mean, my parents kind of, you know, they obviously blame themselves for not, you know, not teaching me good enough or, you know, something like that because it's kind of on the heads of the parents, I guess, supposedly. But, um, I pretty much, you know, told them that I just needed to find my own way, find what I, you know, go what I, with I thought was truth. So I don't think they, I mean, they, I don't think they're hostile, but they, according to, you know, all the teachings they can't have to do with apostates. So they, yeah, they pretty much, I haven't really, I mean, I haven't even talked to any of them since I left. So what do you mean? You haven't talked to your parents or your family members for eight months? Nope. I haven't. How are you dealing with that? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of how it is, I guess. I haven't, I mean, I do miss sometimes, I miss them, but sometimes, I mean, but also I'm kind of happy being free, I guess. <laughs> but my, actually my older brother left, uh, a couple months after I did. But he's still living in southern Utah. He actually left with a girl and got married. But I've talked to him a couple times. So that's been pretty good. But I mean, I have quite a few other, or a few other cousins and stuff that have left and I've talked to them. So are these mostly boys and men that are leaving? Um, that I know personally, yeah. But I know that there are quite a few girls that are leaving too. Um, I think, I mean, there's been quite a few people leaving in the last three or four years. I mean, I would say that over half of the population of the church have left in the last, you know, in the last several years. Is that because it's, Warren is in prison? Is that part of the reason? Um, I don't think it's necessarily that he's in prison, but it's more, well, I guess that he's in prison and pretty much no one can kind of move forward with their lives. I guess that would probably be more. And just all of the new, you know, all the new crazy, you know, United Order restrictions and, you know, no one's getting married. And now even the married people can't have any kind of relations. So, you know, people are just kind of getting, you know, fed up with it all, I guess. <laughs> so when they leave, when people, I mean, you found science, so you sort of had this new path to pursue. But what do people that don't yeah. find science, what do they do? Where do they go? Um, I don't know. I mean, most people are just kind of, you know, at least, well, some people are kind of just, you know, done with religion. I, uh, I think some people, you know, they just still kind of believe in, you know, I think, you know, just the, the basic Mormon history and principles. They just kind of believe that Warren kind of went off the rails a little bit, but, you know, they still believe in, you know, Joseph Smith, Book of Mormon, all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. It just kind of depends on the person, I think. Well, tell us about you. What do you believe? Where are you at? Um, well, pretty much, I guess I am, uh, an atheist. <laughs> so I pretty much don't have any belief that there is God. I mean, I won't say I know there isn't because you can't really disprove a negative, but, um, I haven't. Personally, I don't think I have, there's enough evidence to, uh, 
say that I that I can say there is a God. So that's pretty much where I am. Do you have support around you? I mean, you have a job and and you're working. Mm-hmm. What what are you working towards? What is it that you want from life now? Um. Well, I don't know. I kind of want to learn. I want to travel. Um, I want to go to college someday. <laughs> uh, I'm actually working on my GED right now. Yeah, because I didn't have any kind of a diploma or high school or anything. So that's what I'm working on right now. Um, yeah, I want to go to uh, college and study computer science probably. Um, pretty much what I do right now for work is engineering and manufacturing. Uh, that's what I have been doing. You know that computer science is the devil's science, right, Trevor? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That's why I want to learn it, you know. (laughs) Anyway. So one thing that I found interesting about you is that, uh, it's Amber Petchen that put us in contact and you got involved with an ex-Mormon community in Arizona. So tell us how that happened. Um. Pretty much, I just uh, was searching on Google for ex-Mormons in Arizona, and they they were on a website called Post-Mormon, I think, and it was just a group that said uh, they have a Facebook group, and they do, like, coffee meetups. And I just emailed the guy that it had on the website, and he added me to the Facebook group, and I started going to some of the, the meetups at coffee houses. And... Uh, that's pretty much where I met. I think I met Amber. I think I actually might have been at a lecture at one of the colleges down here. A science lecture at a college is where I met her. But I met uh, several of the other uh, ex-Mormons at the coffee houses and stuff in the group. Now, it's kind of striking for me to hear you say that ex-Mormon, you search ex-Mormon. Because in my mind, I would see you searching ex-FLDS. But it kind of highlights what I've been trying to do with this series to show how similar we all are, do you find yeah. your experiences um, similar to ex-Mormons from the LDS Church, or is it different? And if so, in what ways is it different? Um, I think that, I mean, you know, pretty much, I mean, most of the beliefs are almost the same. You know, it's pretty much, I guess, the fundamental or how crazy fundamental our group was. But, you know, all pretty much a lot of the basics are the same, you know, all the the Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, you know, all that kind of stuff for, you know, the basic principles, I guess you could say, are all the same. So, you know, it's have more in common than the Gentiles, I guess you could say. But um, it kind of, I think it's, you know, I have more in common, I think. So it kind of helps me to get out a little bit, (laughs) come out of my shell. Because, yeah, I mean, I still have a hard time. I'm not very good at socializing or uh, conversation. I think you're doing great. You're doing great. Um, So I have, I put a call out for questions and I have a bunch of questions. Do you have some time for some questions? Uh, I got all night, so. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. I was joking Uh, with Trevor that um, I always do these in my pajamas. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, what do FLDS jammies look like? All long sleeve, all long. I mean, you have to wear long everything because you have to wear long underwear under it. So, do even the yeah. kids wear garments? Yeah, pretty much 
they, I mean, pretty much right after they're out of diapers, then they put them in long, in long underwear. But you, do you get endowed with different garments like we do in the LDS temple? No. The, pretty much since we don't have a temple. I mean, they may have done that in the temple in Texas. I don't know. But we, there isn't any endowed garments. It's pretty much just modesty and trying to, yeah, I guess stay covered. That's pretty much why we wear it. And it's supposed to be a protection against evil. <laughs> Well, it didn't work for you, and and darn computers. Um, first of all, what I was going to say is a lot of people are offering tons of love and support. A lot of people just think this is really great, and a lot of people that have left the LDS church, um, I think, know a little bit about your struggle. Some of them are cut off from their families completely, like like in your case, and um, not to mm-hmm. diminish what you're going through, but I think that they understand that this is incredibly difficult, so... Yeah. People wanted to offer that to you. Um so the first question is what is something people on the outside could do to make your transition to regular life easier? What help do you wish there was out there? Hmm. Um wow, I don't know. Uh I don't know. I mean, being uh having this other this ex-Mormon community has been I mean, it's helped a lot. I think um, I mean, even my cousin, he, I'm not sure where he stands, but he actually went to one of the, one of his neighbors is a Mormon and he got invited to go to their Christmas, uh, breakfast or something like that. So, you know, that was interesting. But as far as the transition, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I mean, I just have a hard time just kind of, I mean, socializing, <laughs> But I don't know what you can really do about that except for just do it. So that's kind of what I've been trying to do. How is um, it talking to women? Um, Assuming that you're interested well, in women. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't necessarily have a hard time talking to women, but flirting is a different story. I mean, you know, actually trying to, you know, maybe, you know, pursue a woman or something is something I definitely, I mean, I've never had any practice. So that's pretty hard. Is there such um, thing as an FLDS pickup line? <laughs> uh, not that I know of. I don't know any. <laughs> <laughs> the pickup line is stay away from me. We're not supposed to talk. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that doesn't work very good. But yeah, like, I mean, my brother, he actually met his wife at the post office, but uh, I don't know what kind of pickup line he used. <laughs> uh Okay, another but, question is, yeah. um, do you ever have days, and I think this is a very LDS, ex-Mormon experience too, days where you know you made the right decision, but sometimes you wonder in the back of your mind, what if it is true? What if I made the made a mistake? Um, Not really. Uh, yeah, not really. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's great. I guess I'm pretty firm in my conviction. <laughs> but the scientific I mean, method will do that for you. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I wonder, you know, what would it be like if I was there? And then I think about it and like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy here. So, yeah. I mean, I actually, uh, just talked to one of my cousins who still lives there. He actually will talk to me, which is kind of surprising. He's not supposed to, but yeah, he, but he's kind of already, I mean, he was watching a movie. Right when I was going to call him, so he was—he isn't really too fervent anyway. 
But yeah, I mean, he was, he works with my brothers there and he was saying they were all, I think they got all, you know, reaccepted into the order and everything. So yeah, they're all more fervent than ever. Yeah, I did hear that. Nadine Hansen talks about how, even though with Warren Jeffs's rule from prison, some people have doubled down. And that's one of the questions. What is life like without Warren there? Can you speak to that at all? I mean, you spoke about it a little bit, but what what is happening to the people there right now as far as you're aware of? I think there's kind of two different ways. People are either, you know, kind of losing their faith, kind of, you know, adventuring out, seeing what, you know, because they're just, especially a lot of people who are, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and they've, you know, never even kissed a girl or been out on a date or anything. But, um, and then there's people who are just, you know, more fervent than ever because they want to, you know, they want to go all the way, I guess, get through it. But there's kind of, I think there's two sides for that, really. Yeah, we've we've heard some of the the... I guess, restrictions and rules that they're being placed. And uh, it sounds like your parents are still living that. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've come out with a lot of new strange rules. I mean, like a more, I mean, newer food restrictions and cleaning ways. I mean, you have to, yeah, I mean, now, I mean, you know, we used to drink coffee, but now no coffee, Uh, absolutely no alcohol. I mean, alcohol was never, I mean, it was always kind of, you know, you shouldn't really drink, but you know, you could have a have a beer every once in a while. But now it's pretty much none. Um, Congratulations, you, know. you guys are now as righteous as we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I mean, but there's some other food ones like you can't eat corn. Uh, What's wrong with corn? There was a thing where you couldn't eat beans, but then What's wrong with you corn could and eat beans? beans. I don't know. Um, no pork. I guess that's kind of. I don't know, maybe from like the Jewish tradition, but, um, yeah, that kind of stuff. No chocolate, <laughs> none of the love drug, um, <laughs> no chocolate. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And then some weird things with, uh, cleaning. They have to clean, clean the, the whole house with some kind of special cleaning agent. I mean, some, some kind of special recipe that they came up with that you can only use that. And you have to clean the entire house from the ceiling to the basement, everything, you know, once a month or something like that. But you have to use this special storehouse cleaning. So that was kind of strange. Uh, also, a couple things with, you know, you, when you're getting dressed, you have to put your right arm in and your right leg for in first. You can't do left-handed. And, um, like, you can't let your... Uh, your long underwear touch the ground when you're putting it on. So I don't, I never really got how that would work because you'd have to kind of be levitating or something. Oh, poor kids. It's like <laughs> but, yeah, festering there were some strange, OCD. Strange things like that. Yeah, I know. It was some strange things like that. And, um, they, no, no toys. I mean, they took away all of the bikes, all the rollerblades, uh, no ATVs. I mean, everyone used to have an ATV in that little town, but yeah, no ATVs. Um, let's see. Yeah, they took away all of the computers for all the unmarried people. And, but it sounded kind of like they're starting to come up a little bit on that because, I mean, when I was there, they took away my computer. They took away my, my iPhone and they gave me a pretty much a restricted, uh, phone that could only call certain numbers that they were, they approved. But I had a prepaid phone in my, under my mattress. So that's how I, 
<laughs> stayed sane. Um, let's see. Yeah, they took away all the, you know, tablets, pretty much anything that you could have, any kind of digital device. They took away all that. Um, so it's like a forever Mormon mission, right? Like missionaries have all these restrictions. It's, it's like <laughs> yeah. be constantly on a mission, except for you don't get to talk to members of the opposite sex. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so yeah. another question someone has is, uh, what can outsiders do to interact better and sort of collaborate and partner with people in the FLDS? Is there anything that can be done? I mean, maybe, maybe before you answer that question, can you tell us how the LDS church is talked about in the FLDS? I don't know. I mean, I don't think they necessarily think that, you know, all Mormons are bad, but, you know, they obviously say that the, it's the, the great and abominable church. But I don't know. I guess maybe it's just my point of view. I never really thought the Mormons were bad. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you can really do because if they, someone tries to talk them out of what they're, they believe, then they'll just, you know, grab on harder. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, you can't talk someone out of something they didn't get talked into. They were just indoctrinate, indoctrinated. So I don't know. I mean, I think that now there's quite a bit of other people in the town that are, you know, maybe like apostates from FLDS or even just other people who have moved in there and there's some other businesses starting up and that kind of thing. I think, you know, just kind of getting normal people in the area has helped quite a bit. I don't know. I mean, they, you know, they won't, they won't listen to, I mean, you know, they don't watch TV. They don't listen to podcasts. They don't, you know, listen to the radio. So, you know, you can't really, I don't know. You can't really get to them. Yeah, it's almost, you know, completely cut off. How about when talking to people who are just out? Because I know that there are rules, some things you don't talk about, and I've made the mistake of breaking some of those sometimes. But um, are there ways that, you know, outsiders could be more inviting? Um, hmm. I guess maybe what would it have taken for someone, or like you said, it was it, it just takes deconstructing these things, so nothing would have helped. But would any outside help have helped you at any point? I don't know. I think so. I mean, uh, when I was going to leave, uh, you know, a couple times before, then I was going to go and live with one of my aunts who had left years ago, but I just, didn't really, I mean, you know, I didn't even really know her at all because she'd left when I was just a little kid. But, I mean, you know, everyone there is really suspicious of outsiders. <laughs> that's just how, you know, how we were, that's just how we were all conditioned to be. But, I mean, yeah, even, yeah, it's But it's it sounds like hard. they can't keep the media out. They can't keep pop culture out. That's one thing that's happening in other really controlled environments like, well, I guess throughout history, but I'm thinking North Korea right now. It's the same sort of thing. People are sneaking in. The things that they're sneaking in are mm. movies and songs and music mm. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that, I mean, there is kind of an, an underground of that there. I mean, I know that a lot of people do that, even though they're supposed to be all trying to become worthy 
So I think, I mean, that is what a lot of people do. And, you know, they, if they do it themselves, then, but, you know, if someone tries to give it to them or force it on them, then they just kind of clam up. But if they go out and look for it, then that's, then it's their initiative. <laughs> someone asked about the prophetic succession process. Do you know anything about that? Like who's supposed to be the new prophet after Warren? Because from my understanding, it's not very clear in the FLDS. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, in terms of like the, the apostles or whatever, you know, who would be the most senior person, I don't know. I mean, I think at one time then they did ordain 12 apostles, but I don't know if it, I mean, I know that quite a few of them have gotten sent away, so I don't know. I mean, I imagine that it would probably be Lyle because he's kind of the one who's already, you know, taking control in the all the day-to-day. But I don't know who would really be the next prophet. <laughs> the restrictions you're talking about, from what I've heard and what I've read and the people I've talked to, they're really designed, whether intentional or not, to get rid of, of boys. I mean, we've talked about the lost boys and things like that, but it seems like in some ways the restrictions are harder on the boys. Now, we, you know, at Feminist Born Hasses, we're always talking about the differences between how boys are raised in the church versus how girls are raised in the church. And a lot of people say women have it worse because there's some real pressures and absolute, like, legitimate, literal restrictions placed on women to power, which the FLDS also has. Mm. There are things that are hard on boys, too. And in some ways, you guys are targets, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, we were obviously never really told that, you know, if you're not good enough, then, you know, it's kind of, you know, like the, the lowest denominator just kind of gets swept out. But, uh, I mean, it obviously seems to be what happens. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess maybe, I don't know. I mean, the boys are always going out, you know, when working on jobs and that kind of stuff. So they get way more exposed to, you know, the outside world. So they have more opportunity to, you know, get into music and that kind of stuff. Movies, you know, the girls are always, you know, just stay at home and help the other mothers and tend the kids. So I guess that could be something where it's, there's, you know, more opportunity for boys to get a hold of that kind of stuff. So is it harder to be an FLDS girl, do you think, or about the same? I don't know. It's, it's probably pretty hard for both. I think kind of depending. I mean, I know that, you know, having to always think that you're going to be married to, you know, some man who has several other wives is probably pretty hard. Um. Did you Especially, grow up wanting to be a polygamist? Um, I don't know. I mean, I never really thought about it too much. I guess I figured, well, if, you know, if it happens, it happens because we were always told that, you know, it's just all the prophets, uh, revelation. But, um, I don't know. I always personally thought that I would rather have one than multiple. <laughs> One's hard enough to, you know. Yeah, one relationship is yeah, hard to manage. Yeah, one relationship is pretty hard anyway. Um, but well, tell us about some things in the community that are that are good. That that I mean, is there anything good that you took out of your experience growing up there? I don't know. Let's see. I mean, I guess 
I don't know. I mean, a lot of the good stuff that was there has kind of just been stripped away. I mean, you know, like all the, the, the community activities, that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, we used to have all the Harvest Festival and all that kind of stuff, but that kind of stuff just kind of went away. There used to be all the schools and that kind of stuff, but now everyone just does homeschool in their own home. I mean, you know, we used to have fun when we were younger doing, you know, school and, doing that kind of stuff but now there's you know not really hardly any of that i mean even you know they're separating the families so you know the order and the the non-members and the members so that makes it hard and you know you can't even really associate and that makes it pretty hard um but as far as the good parts i don't know i mean i think i had a pretty decent childhood up until you know I was, I don't know, maybe a teenager, I guess. <laughs> but I guess all teenagers probably kind of want to rebel a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, I know that there have been abuse and that kind of stuff, but I don't know about other families. So I'm going to end on this question. What advice would you give to others like you? I guess I would, I don't know. What advice would I give? <laughs> I guess just uh, try and search for the truth. I mean, you know, whatever you can, wherever you can find, just search for what's, you know, what's true, I guess. And uh, what about dealing with family members and things like that? Um, It's... Yeah, it's hard, I guess. I mean, uh, I know that, I mean, I miss, I miss my family a lot. I guess you kind of have to, it's, it kind of sucks that you have to kind of just choose, but I mean, I know that there's actually been quite a few families who the whole family has left, and I think that's, you know, pretty good for a lot of several families who have, you know, the whole family has, left or I guess maybe been kicked out and kind of depends but then you know that's good for the whole family <laughs> I mean if you know if they don't really want to talk to you there's not a lot you can do I said one last question but I actually have one more sorry okay um, <laughs> what are your feelings can you just end with your feelings on polygamy what you think about polygamy in general okay um personally I think that uh religiously enforced any kind of religiously enforced you know sexual uh you know control i don't think is i think it's bad <laughs> i mean like i don't think that polygamy in itself is necessarily bad but being told that if you don't then you're gonna go held and that's i mean you know i don't think that polyamory or you know any of that kind of stuff is necessarily bad but being uh religiously you know endorsed and commanded thing i i don't think it's right i mean i think it's destructive and hurts and you know can really hurt a lot of people well i think it's amazing what you've done and i think you need to be applauded for following your conscience especially against you know the odds it's very difficult to do with the kind of pressure you're you have faced so i appreciate that thank you so much Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, now I want you to do one more thing. Um, okay. How do you how do you say the devil's name? Because I get I get 
I get criticized all the time for my Utah accent, so you and I are one in the same. Can you say Satan for me? Satan. Satan. Yes, <laughs> you're like me. See, you're my people. Is it supposed to be Satan? I guess so. What? Someone was making fun of me on another podcast, and I I didn't even realize that I did it. But I yeah, Satan. I do. Yeah, I, I, obviously, I guess I never really thought of myself as having a Utah accent, but now I... Yeah, I think I do. You're you're with me, brother. We uh, It's just it's in our DNA, man. It's it's everywhere. Yeah. I guess so. Well, um are you on Facebook? Can people friend you? I, I imagine you're going to get some friend requests out of this if you want them. Is yeah. Uh just Trevor Taylor Jeffs. You could probably link it in your post or whatever like you did with the last one whatever you want to do but do you Uh, want do you want tons of people asking you questions i don't know if you do (laughs) uh i don't know i guess depends i mean everyone be be... nice and respectful (laughs) have good boundaries yeah i don't know i mean i don't want to be bombarded really but i mean i'm okay with answering questions but i don't want to be completely bombarded (laughs) okay Uh, well we'll go ahead and and put that out there and again uh i Thank you so much. And thanks, Amber, for setting this up. And thanks for Jake and Adam who helped me with the web stuff. And thanks for all the subscribers and the people that have supported and shared this podcast. And Trevor, thanks for doing what you do. Good luck to everything in the future. Yeah, thank you. It's, It's been a pleasure. 